0: You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, Sound of Sanity is now beginning. I am Nathan, your humble and obedient host. We've got Jake and Ben here. But we're going to get right to it. And I'll tell you why. We are joined today by Pastor Tim Bailey, Now, just in case any of our listeners, for some silly reason, don't know, Jake, do you want to explain who Pastor Tim Bailey is? Sure. Pastor Tim
1: Bailey is the senior pastor of Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. Has been for how long? Getting close, 25 to 30 years? Getting close to 30 years. Tim's the author of Daddy Tried and Church Reformed and Elders Reformed and The Grace of Shame, Seven Ways the Churches failed to Love Homosexuals. He's been a father in the face to all three of us. We wouldn't be here doing what we're doing without him.
0: Absolutely not. True. So we want to talk today about something that we've we've actually podcasted about this before in different forums, but it occurred to us that we have a lot of new listeners and we want them to, you know, there's, there's things we talk about and we just use shorthand sometimes and, and people aren't necessarily familiar with what we're talking about. So I wanted to introduce people to a concept that they may have never heard of before, which is the sin of effeminacy. And maybe that's raising some eyebrows right there, just saying the sin of effeminacy. But can you talk to us a little bit, Tim, about what that is and how you came to understand what that is? Sure. Thanks
2: for having me, Ben and Nate and Jake, my true sons in the faith. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: lovely man, and, yeah, uh, I love you, men.
0: And I miss true. you
2: much now that you're doing your work, planting a church down there. And beautiful, glorious. <laughs> it is beautiful. Heavensville.
1: <laughs> I like to call was, it Heavensville. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I was listening to your podcast, Ben, you and Nate, about the Chauvin trial. Somebody, and then Jake walked in, and somebody made a comment about we live in a pretty conservative community. And I was like, what? <laughs> And then I realized you'd moved. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> How long have you been in Bloomington? What, what world are you <laughs> occupying? Well,
0: that's that's actually probably a really important thing to say up front for people who don't know. So, Tim, your ministry is based out of Bloomington, Indiana, and all three of us lived for many, many years before we moved to Heavensville in Bloomington, Indiana. And Bloomington is – what's the stat? It's like the highest gay per capita outside of – like the second in the nation after San Francisco. Yeah, those, like that. those
2: statistics go up and down, but Bloomington is a very perverse city sexually, even though it's in the Midwest and in a conservative state of Indiana. And when people talk about it, there seem to be two factors that are predominant in that. One is it has the largest music school in the world, and I don't want to offend people. I don't want people to think I'm opposed to music. I'm not. I love music. But musicians, and particularly highly gifted musicians, have a very high rate of sexual perversion. And I say sexual perversion because I'm not referring to the normal evangelical sins of fornication and adultery and pornography. I'm talking about things that take sexual sin to a whole other level that is unnatural. So From the moment I arrived in Bloomington as a pastor, I was immediately thrown into homosexuality in an intense way in the church I served. I won't go into the stories. I've had, well, you know, having been in the church, we have always had a preponderance of students from the Kelly School of Business and also from the music school. And consequently, we have dealt with a lot of sexual sin that is in the LGBTQ direction by gay, lesbian, and had the joy of many people repenting and being restored to holiness. And then the other reason is we have the Kinsey Institute. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you don't know who Alfred Kinsey was, back in the 50s, Kinsey blew up the normal American sexual morality that we had lived in for centuries without thinking about it, okay? And he blew it up by finding all the perverts he could, so he did a lot of his research in prison, and then collating questions he would ask them. He was a man who was a promoter of pedophilia. He was a man who was utterly vicious and wicked, in how he handled his colleagues and what he required of them at the university. And we have a Kinsey Institute honoring that man. You know, the irony of it when we're pulling down statues of General Robert E. Lee, and we have the Kinsey Institute in Bloomington. And the man was beyond the pale in many, many ways. And he issued what were known as the Kinsey Reports. And the Kinsey Reports treated sex as if it was mechanical. There was no acknowledgement of, of personhood, of sensitivities, sensibilities, aesthetics. It was just touching, copulating, orgasm, the mechanics. And it was such an awful thing because it went around the world. And what Margaret Mead, now think about the, think about the irony of this. <laughs> yeah. Margaret Mead was by no stretch of the imagination sympathetic with Christianity. Hmm. You know, she was the, uh, the very well-known anthropologist and did a lot of f- uh, foundational work in the discipline of anthropology. Anyhow, she addressed a group in New York City when the Kinsey Report was issued. She said that the Kinsey Report, she just said it was awful. She trashed it. She said an awful lot of the safety of the morality of this world depends upon not knowing what other people are doing in the privacy of their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. but that Kinsey has ripped the veil away from that privacy. And she said it has reduced sexuality to purely mechanics. And she said, it's going to result in people not knowing, and I'm paraphrasing here, but not knowing why they make love to to a woman instead of a pig or a cat. Mm -hmm. And this is a godless woman. Saying this, she was prescient. She absolutely knew exact. Well, that's where we are today. And the Kinsey Institute and the music school have caused Bloomington to be a school of hard knocks for you three men, and for me, and for everybody a part of our church.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's it's been. So I grew up in Bloomington, and I was just used to seeing women holding hands, men holding hands. In, in in romantic couplings like that's that's just something that i grew up with as pretty normal and it's been weird going outside of the town and realizing oh actually the entire world isn't there yet actually the midwest is not that's 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 not where we're at i was living in a weird bubble
1: yeah and i i grew up in conservative evansville indiana and moved to bloomington and got hip right away with the with the liberalism of the town and 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 the perversity of it and had to figure out yeah I go through these stages you know I I was in the religious studies department and in the religious studies department at IU you have people teaching about Islam who are muslim in background and people teaching about Hinduism and whatever but when it comes to people teaching about Christianity the vast majority of the of the professors are homosexual, but you don't know that right away. You just sort of have to figure it out. Why, are these, why do these people hate God so much and have devoted their life to it? Well, oh, you know, they're all in deep rebellion against God. And it's just everywhere, it's pervasive. Yeah,
2: and there's no deeper rebellion against God than sexual. It starts from the beginning. Jesus says, from the beginning, he made them male and female. And so the most foundational truth that we have is male and female. From the beginning, he made them male and female. And so when we rebel against God at the issue of his assigning, (laughs) his commissioning us male or female, it is a poison that, that oozes and seeps and corrupts every aspect of our lives. And it makes it impossible for us to have an unseared conscience Okay, We have to have that concept as Christians that the Bible warns us about being given over to the point that our consciences are seared. And, and what that means is that, you know, if you can imagine an iron falling on the arm of a little child and the state of the skin when the iron is pulled off and how, how many years it will take to heal it. But as long as that arm exists, it will not have the sensitivity and the elasticity, not to mention the beauty that God made that arm to have, and that's what happens when we rebel against God sexually, is that regardless of what we think or say or parade on Facebook or Instagram, we are in bondage, and that bondage begins with an inability to hear The Holy Spirit, a quenching of the Holy Spirit that keeps us from repentance. And so when we say that something is sexually perverse or a town, from that you can extrapolate a whole bunch of things about that town that are just awful. I just got done a few minutes ago writing a letter to the city council members. Every year they trot out, I don't know, about $10,000 and give it to the local abortuary. And every year we protest it. And The question is, why do they do that? Well, I think the reason they do it is self-justification. I I think that there is a spiritual principle of guilt, that if you refuse true guilt, then you parade false morality every chance you get in an effort to quell your conscience. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I said to them in my letter, I said, you give a tiny amount of our tax dollars. And I'm sure They'll think as they read it at that point, they'll think, well, yeah, it's a tiny amount, but that's actually a rebuke because what it shows is it's not the money. It is their determination to parade their progressive credentials and their enlightened mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, when people hear that there is sexual sin in Bloomington, I don't want them to think that that's all we have to deal with, whereas they have to deal with casinos. Sexual sin, well, in Las Vegas would know this as well as anyone, sexual sin makes the entire man depraved. And I know that's hard for people to hear because everybody just thinks, well, what's wrong with loving? Mm-hmm. And I don't have the time to go into that now, but I'd love to. But I know you're fixed on effeminacy, so.
1: Well, but um, it, is, it is true. I was just meeting this morning, had coffee with a young man who said he had no idea that sex outside of marriage or that homosexuality were wrong or sins until he was 17 years old and started reading the Bible. No idea. It was a f- completely foreign concept to him that God had anything to say about sex and that there were no's involved. What What's wrong with two consenting people doing whatever they want to do?
2: It's well, so frustrating to me because I'm working, I'm on the second to last chapter, just finishing it up on sex in a book on marriage, which will be our next book, Lord willing. And I'm trying to deal in that chapter with the fact that Christians today believe that any sexual act that's consensual is victimless. Yep. And so that's the precise thing I'm writing about right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should stay there a little bit longer, because I'm just thinking of all the kinds of questions that our, our listeners may have. And let me let me just ask a very simple, galactically broad question here. But it but it is one that I think like Jake's friend that he's talking about, people have. Why does God care what we do with our animal bodies? What 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 does it matter?
2: Well, I am weary, and that's probably going to come through. I'm not just weary, though. I'm very, very discouraged at Christians today who are not even aware of that question, let alone asking it. And Mm -hmm. so I have trouble not believing that there won't be a desire on anybody's part to think about your question, Nate. And yet you've asked it. And so let's answer it. And the reason is God cares because we are to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's why God cares. God is love, and God is jealous for our love for him and our love for our neighbor. Now, that's why God says no to sexual sin. And I imagine. That you and others listening to me answer like that are just thinking, the the guy's clueless. He's clueless. I mean, does he think that answered the question? And I would say, no, you are clueless because you haven't the foggiest notion what love is. Mm -hmm. And you have no idea how hateful it is to commit sexual sin, how much it harms the people involved in it, but not just those people, all their relatives, their friends, their neighbors, and what an assault on God it is.
1: The, so, uh, the young man I was talking to this morning, part of what we were actually talking about was his bitterness and resentment at never having been taught anything like this and how much harm it's caused him until he read the Bible. Why, why did nobody say this to me? Why did nobody help me? Why did nobody help me understand the bad feelings that I felt when it was all supposed to feel good?
2: Well, probably because the men who were his fathers, his pastors, his elders, his school teachers, his professors, his uncles, his grandfather, all were involved in sexual sin themselves. Mm. And so it's a huge conspiracy to, to be silent about it. Because we want our lust. And so, you know, I pity guys like that because there is going to be residual damage that if God gives him the gift of a woman who loves him and agrees to marry him, she and her sexual sin and he and his sexual sin make what is normally a difficult thing, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is marriage, Mm -hmm. into an abnormally difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Which is marriage after sexual deviancy and perversion and immorality. And I mean, right there, you're off and running because immediately you see that always there are more people involved in a sexual act than the two principles. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they may not be present, but they are present. And God's not dumb about these things. And God knows that sex causes a huge amount of the bloodshed that has ever occurred in the world. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: The bloodshed caused by incest, you think in the Old Testament, the bloodshed caused by abortion, you know, the bloodshed caused by physical assault between two lesbians. They have one of the highest violence partners, relationships of the violence and victims literature by their own testimony. And then their loved ones who see the woman they married killing, brutalizing their daughter. And so we have to realize, and I know it sounds stupid to say, but God is not stupid. God created us male and female. God commands that our relationships of physical intimacy flow from relationships of love And of mental intimacy and of spiritual intimacy in a monogamous lifelong union of male and female for wise reasons, he commands that. Mm -hmm. And we violate it to our own destruction, to the destruction of our children, of our brothers and sisters, our parents, the destruction of our societies. And so I want people to realize that when you ask the question, why does God care what we do with our animal bodies, Nate, Mm -hmm. it's because God is love, and he is jealous to see love spread, Mm -hmm. the love of his son, his love, our love of our neighbors. And even if there was not ancillary damage, okay, even if sexual sins horrors, did not metastasize across the family, the human community, the race, even if you had two people alone on an island, both of whom had spouses off the island, they had no hope of rescue and they decided that they were going to have sex with each other. There are victims off that island and one of them, and I don't want to speak this way, but it might help us to understand one of them is God. God is harmed by consensual sexual sin. And also, there is an initiator and there is a responder on that island, and the, the responder is more a victim of that sexual sin than the initiator. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I want people to think that when you give yourself to sexual sin, you flatten Every consideration, every aspect, every ethical issue, every morality in, in our damn determination to have our lust. And so we have not thought about sex. And the minute you begin to think about it, and listen, there's a reason why the four of us are talking about this, and that is that our life is committed to pastoral care, all four of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And man, the minute you start sitting down with your wife, with a woman crying, who's just come to college, your mind explodes, your understanding deepens, your fear of God grows, Mm. and you realize that you best learn the nature of sexuality.
1: Yep. Mm. You just don't have a choice. You have to love the people, and people have been hurt and are hurting others, and man up or go home. Spend, spend your life hiding and not helping people and letting them suffer in silence or figure this stuff out.
0: It's felt very much to me like the last, I don't know how many years of my life, but as I've gotten just a little bit older, as I've gotten out of my 20s into my 30s, God has intentionally began to pull back the veil in a lot of places and say, here's the horrible, ugly death that attended the thing that you were so enamored with that I saved you from. You know, you swerved op, swerved before you went o- over the cliff. Let me show you how deep that cliff was. And so even just simple things mm-hmm. like meeting older, haggard, unpleasant-looking homosexuals. I had an experience not too long ago where me and Meredith were house hunting, and we were we went into the house of a, a gay man in his 60s, and he happened to be there. They, they messed up the times. And he was just haggard and worn out. And you knew he was haggard and worn out. By his sin, and it was ugly, and it was unpleasant. It is, it's actually one of the advantages of living in a town like Bloomington is you get to see the trajectories play out. I think sometimes people, their concept of lesbianism is just two hot girls in a movie. I remember there was this iconic poster from my teenage years of these these two girls in bed together that you would always see in, in music stores and, and stuff like that. I'm sure people of a certain generation can picture it if they want to. But I think that's what some people think it is. But then you actually see people's lives. You see what happens as they get older, as the consequences of their sin pile up. And you see how ugly and off-putting it is. And it just tells a very different story than the one that Hollywood wants to tell you. It's been a kindness of God, I think, to show me how ugly some of this stuff is, if I can...
2: Well, when okay. you say ugly, what you really mean is destructive, which again is another aspect of, of sins against our neighbor, of the absence of love. So earlier I was reminded of a couple of friends who, The World We Made was a podcast that one of them, and then The Grace of Shame, the book. But both of them got to know us through our publications in Warhorn, and they both got in touch. So what happened was one of them, I was talking to him, And he was telling me how he had had terrible drug addiction while he was involved with sodomy. So after talking a while, I said to him, well, which was easier to stop, the drugs? And he was into heavy things, opioids, crystal meth, stuff like that. I said, which was easier to stop, engaging in sodomy or the drugs? And he said, oh, he said, the drugs. And I said, really? I'm surprised by that. I would have thought the drugs would be even harder to stop. And he said, oh, no. He said, the minute I stopped the sodomy, I didn't need the drugs anymore. Yep. And I was flabbergasted, and so I teased it out a little. What, what do you mean you didn't need? He said, well, the reason that gays are always drunk and on drugs is because they cannot stand the assault of their conscience on them for what they're doing. And so then this other guy, I talked to him, and I said, you know what this guy said to me? And they had very similar backgrounds in the homosexual, the get your flame on community. He said, oh, absolutely, it's the same with me. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing that you just have to have faith for is to not believe the lies of the culture that tell you that everybody's happy and, and doing well and that this isn't destructive at all and you can do this stuff with a clean conscience. It's just never actually the case. It's just classic Romans one. Everybody knows, yeah. everybody Romans. knows. Hmm. Everybody has to deal on their bed at night with their bad conscience. And you can try to sear it as much as you want to, and you can get pretty far searing it. But at the end of the day, it still breaks through. But can I interrupt here for a second, Jake?
2: Yeah. Romans one goes into Romans two. Yep. And the minute he gets done dealing with the perversions of Gatom, he then says, But you and he switches his attention to God's people. And I think that what we have to understand is that right now Right now, there's a commitment in the conservative Christian community to act as if we're opposed to lesbians and gays and the LGBTQ thing, and especially if they marry. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm convinced that that is a look at the birdie move on our part to not face the exact same things we do with fornication, with pornography, with homosexuality. that's covered up with adultery, with incest, with abuse, where leaders do not confront it because it's too painful.
1: That's our $10,000 check to Planned Parenthood. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I don't want people to think that, because we're talking about homosexuality, that we think that normal Christians are in any way sexually moral and i just got done writing about that where i just went through this list of hypocrisies that are pervasive within conservative christian churches where you know you start with the boy or the girl who's a teenager and you know she's sending selfies sex sexting you know mm-hmm. to a friend and you act like you don't know it and you give her a smartphone you let her be alone with it in the bedroom or the ipad because you <laughs> You're so happy she's not going to a party and hooking up. Mm-hmm. And then you have your son come to you and tell you that that his older cousin raped him during the family reunion when they were staying out in the bunkhouse. And you can't conceive of dealing with that and the harm it would cause the family, the anger the family would have. And so you just tell him to stay away from that cousin from now on. Okay. And then the petting. That goes on in the church where the pastor and and the parents say, finish your college degree before you get married, then you can have your wedding. And the real message is do everything short of getting pregnant. And it's okay as long as you don't jeopardize your education and your career. Okay. And then the married people were, and I can just keep going, where a married couple looks at pornography together because the wife thinks maybe if she looks at salacious movies with her husband, it'll keep him from looking at pornography and, I don't want to say it, but doing what men do when they're alone and look at pornography, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so when people listen to us talking about sodomy, notice I said adultery. I didn't say having an affair, okay? Mm -hmm. What we have to realize is we have met the enemy, and the enemy is not Bloomington. The enemy is us and all of us have our ways of justifying our pet sexual sins. And until we begin to learn how we are all corrupted by the culture we live in, just like the Corinthians, and begin to study how we've been corrupted and, and begin to walk back the plank, we can't just talk about homosexuality because I guarantee it. it all our kids are gay now. I mean, gay is hip. I had a school teacher in Bowling Brook, Illinois, tell me 25 years ago, a high school teacher, that the coolest kids in the school were gay. Well, whatever was true in Bowling Brook, <laughs> and Bowling <laughs> Brook is not a sophisticated suburb of Chicago, <laughs> whatever was true of there 25 years ago is true of the most conservative church's youth group today. And so what we have to do is realize that we have sown the wind, we're reaping the whirlwind, and it's time to go back to some basics about sexuality and learn it from the ground up.
0: Well, that's as good a cliffhanger as I could ask for, so we'll go ahead and call it quests on today's episode. Sound of Sanity was produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me, associate produced by Ben. Hey, go to patreon.com forward slash sound We're trying to get up to $500 a month and we will release three episodes of The Vill. Really cool stuff. Lots of dramatic things happen. As I've said before, Sparky loses his inhaler in those episodes. And other things, arguably uh, more important things. Anyway, until next time. Stay sane.